Good morning. It's good to be back with you. I missed you guys last week. Uh, that that flu-like virus was no joke. Uh, wow, good stuff. Guys, uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open them up to the book of Genesis chapter 3. book of Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. And this morning marks the beginning of our Advent season. Now, for some of you, that needs no explanation, but for others, it's kind of a foreign thing, uh, right? If you're like myself and you weren't raised in church, Advent is strange. Uh, if you were raised in a tradition that didn't celebrate Advent, you, you don't understand what we're doing either. And uh, so this morning, I thought I'd just begin by explaining to you what Advent is really all about. So Advent um, started being celebrated by churches around the 5th century. So this has been going on for a long time throughout the world, and, and, and the term Advent comes from a Latin term that means coming, it means coming. And what it was, is it was a season set aside by the early church, starting again in the 5th century, where they would, would spend the four Sundays leading up to Christmas focusing on Jesus' first coming, that very first Christmas. And, and, and they would spend time, and, and the hope was that as we thought about his first coming, that it would begin to stir our hearts to long for his second coming, or for his return. Now traditionally, Advent um, does this by focusing on four topics, right? In the first Sunday, our first candle represents hope. Hope, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is how Jesus Christ is our only hope. And then uh, the second candle represents love, and we'll talk about love next week. And then the third candle, the joy that is shown as the angels appear to the shepherds on that fateful night. And, uh, and, and so that'll be a joyous celebration. And then our last Sunday together before Christmas focuses on the peace that Christ has come to bring. All right, this morning our focus will be hope. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for loving us God, we are so thankful for your word, and we're thankful for your son, Jesus, who has come to be our hope. This morning, Holy Spirit, through your power, we pray that you would stir our hearts and our minds, that you would reveal to us our true nature without Christ, that we might see why we need him. That is my hope. That is my prayer. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and take your place as the teacher of this church now, and we pray that you would exalt Jesus Christ in such a way that our hearts are drawn to him. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. So we're going to begin focusing our hearts on the coming of Jesus and and the hope that he brings in a really peculiar place, okay? It's that all-familiar Christmas passage of Genesis 3 and the fall of mankind, right? You guys, I'm sure you read that every Christmas around the tree, not, not so much, not so much. Uh, but we're, we're going to read Genesis chapter 3 together. And so I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles or, or turn on your phone there. Um, and Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read the entire chapter this morning because I want you to see um, kind of our estate, our estate. What happened to us when sin entered the world? That's really important. If we're going to understand the hope that Christ brings, we have to understand exactly what happened to us when sin entered the world. The world. And so I'm in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. 
No, no, you, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. And in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. And so she took some of its fruit and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the time of the evening breeze and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and he said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Then he asked, Well, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And so the Lord God asked the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman then said, Well, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock. And more than any wild animal, you will move on your belly and eat dust all of the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I'll intensify your labor pains and you'll bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree about which I commanded, you do not eat from the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living, of all the living. The Lord God made clothing from skins of animals for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. The Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and he stationed a cherubim and a flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. I know that seems like a strange place to begin to try to fix our hearts on the coming of Christ. Oh, you are so good. We have good people here. This is hot cinnamon tea so that I don't cough all over you this morning. Thank you, Michael Matthew. Mm. Let me testify to how hot it is. Can't feel that anymore. Um, it's why we start here at Genesis 3. The reason why we start here in Genesis 3, if we're going to try to understand hope, is we have to go all the way back to the beginning of the story. On, on, on man's most fateful day, on the darkest day of human history, is where the very first seed of hope sprouts. It's where the very first beam of of hope shines, right? That's my belief that it is impossible to truly treasure the beauty of things like hope or grace 
without first understanding how dark it is without them, right? Uh, Hal Lindsay said this, um, he said, a man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. But only for one second without hope. And so I want you to understand the depth of the truth that God lays out for us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which as Jeff said, is, is known in theological circles as the first gospel. Because God lays out two principles in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which I'll put on the screen now. Genesis 3.15, God lays out two principles that are foundational truths for, for the Christian faith, right? And so this morning, I just want to talk about those two principles. We call these two principles when put together, by the way, the gospel. The gospel. And so here's the first thing that God reveals to us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The first thing God reveals to us is the extent of the curse of sin upon mankind, right? The extent of the curse of sin upon mankind. I, I like to call this our hopeless estate. I'll, I'll read it to you, Genesis 3.15. God says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring <clears throat> and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You will strike his heel, right? And what is, what is God saying, right? He's saying, from this point on, guys, from this point on, man will live in constant battle with Satan and his demonic forces. That, that is what's going to happen from now. now. Now, man was living in perfect fellowship with God. Man had nothing to worry about. Like, life was good, but from this point on, life will be a battle, okay? Like, like I, I don't know, anybody ever stayed at a hotel that you were like, I, I, I don't belong here? Has anybody ever been at one of those? Um, we, we, we traveled one time with the children, by the way, and, and we got on like, I don't know, Priceline or something, and so we booked these hotels on our way driving to Disney World, and a couple of them um, were like those four-star swanky places that when we walked in with children at all, people were like, oh no, they don't belong here, you know, right? I mean, it's a place, they're so, so special, you pay for parking, you pay for breakfast, you pay for Wi-Fi, you know what I'm saying? Uh, we discovered, by the way, we're not four-star people, we are like three-star people, Okay? We want, give me, give me the breakfast that comes with a meal. I want free Wi-Fi, that kind, of, that kind of thing. Guys, Adam and Eve were in that swanky place. They, they were in that place. Everything that they could imagine was, was perfect. And, and they were living in the presence of God. Like everything. But, but from this moment, from the moment that they eat from, from this, this tree of knowledge and good and evil, like everything changes. Sin changes everything. Sin changes everything. So now, for the rest of their life, for, for the rest of their ancestors' life, from, from now on, mankind will, will live at war, constant war, with a very real enemy. God's, God's removed that kind of hand of protection, so we will live at very real warfare with this enemy called the devil and his spiritual forces called demons. And so we're no longer in the penthouse. We're no longer in the presence of God. And we're no longer surrounded by perfection. And listen, because we are no longer in the presence of God, we can, this is, the news gets worse, because we're no longer in the presence of God, we can no longer have the life of God, which, which is eternal by nature. And, and so what God promised Adam and Eve, though, though the serpent lied about, actually becomes true here. They will now die. 
They're, they're going to face death. He says, to the ground you will return. From the ground you, you came, that's where I formed you. Now you're going to die. You're going to go back to the ground. This, this is the beginnings of, of this curse. And all of your ancestors will fight against this. You're going to die. God says to Adam and Eve, you're now imperfect. You can no longer be in my perfect presence. Get out. Get out. You're going to die. Now, that's the lay of the land of Genesis chapter 3. The Apostle Paul um, kind of uh, gives us a summary statement of our estate at this point without Christ. Okay? He does so in Ephesians chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to give you the terms he shares. All right? So this is what he says. He says, first of all, we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. Like, like, this is now who we are. We are dead in our sins and our trespasses. We can no longer have the life of God. That's what Paul says. He says, not only that, he says, you are now excluded from citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. How do you like that? To be excluded. You're, you're excluded from citizenship in heaven. You, you die, you don't get to be with God. You're not a citizen of heaven. Like, you, you die now, you are excluded from citizenship. Paul goes on, he says, not only that, you're foreigners and aliens to the covenants and the promises and the blessings of God. Foreigners and aliens. Now, by the way, people whom I love deeply, this is why when the world looks at Christians that are shouting about people coming into our country, they can't understand us because we who were once foreigners are afraid to death of foreigners and aliens. Just saying, like, the gospel has practical implications. Scratch is like, like, that's who you are now. You're foreigners and aliens to the covenants and the promises and the blessings of, of, of the, the, the kingdom of God. He, he goes on, Paul says, and you're, you're far away. You're not near. You're not close. Like, like, this is why we feel like something within us is broken. This is why we feel like God is distant, like God may not care about it. And it's not because God is far away. It's because we are far away. And so we have this sense, like, this is not where I belong. I don't, I don't belong here with all of this hurt and all this tragedy and all this sin. Something inside of me says I belong with God, right? Paul says, no, you're far away. Ephesians 2, it gets worse. He says, in fact, you are now without God. And then this is kind of the summation. This is the, the pinnacle moment of Ephesians 2. He says, not only are you without God, but because you're without God, you're without hope. You are without hope in this world. That's who we are apart from Christ. See, if, if we're going to talk about hope, if we're going to talk about the good news that God promises in, in Genesis 3.15, if we're going to talk about what the coming of Jesus really means, we have to first understand why we need him. We need him because our estate is hopeless. That is what the Bible declares about us. Like That's the first half of the gospel, by the way, right? The gospel, the good news, you have to lay out the bad news first. So that's the bad news. So here is the good news. Here's the second thing Genesis 3.15 teaches us. Again, I'm going to read it. It says, uh, God says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between, get this, your offspring and her offspring. There it is. That's the promise. If you've got your Bibles, you may want to underline this. There is an offspring that is coming. So there's an offspring, and get this, he, her offspring, will strike the head of Satan. Well, other translations say, will crush your head. You will strike his heel, but he's going to kill you. There is one who is coming, promised by God, that will kill this enemy called Satan. 
Okay? That will put an end to his tyrannic reign. Like, that is coming. God promises that's coming. All the way back in the very beginning of the story. So here's what the second half of the gospel, um, of the first gospel teaches us of Genesis 3.15. Ready? It's the promise of God to provide a savior who will take the curse of sin upon himself and will crush the head of our enemy, Satan. You say, I didn't see all that in that one verse. His heel is going to be, his heel is going to be bitten, right? Okay? That, 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 he, that, that means he's, he's going to be stung by death. He's going to die. He's going to die in our place. Okay? But he will rise again. He'll conquer death. He'll conquer death. He'll conquer the enemy. His heel will be, will be struck. It'll be bitten, but... Uh, by death, but he will rise again. And so this is what God is declaring to Adam and Eve, um, all their descendants, right? And it is, so we're going to kind of summarize it. God looks at them and he says, hey, listen, I know that it seems hopeless, right? Because, because a- after all, you are now imperfect. And, and because you're imperfect, you can no longer live in, in my presence. And because you can no longer live in my presence, you no longer have access to my life, which is eternal, which means you are going to die. And, and when you die, you will die completely separated from me. You'll be a foreigner. You'll be an alien. You're going to be excluded from citizenship in heaven. Like, 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 listen, I know that your estate seems hopeless, God is saying to Adam and Eve. But, but though you are hopeless, there is hope. A single, beautiful, radiant beam of hope is coming. I will raise up a savior. I will bring about someone who will be a descendant of you. Who will be flesh. But he will also be God. And I will raise up this savior and he will defeat death. Right? Death, the, the weapon that Satan wages all over and waves all over the world that keeps us cringing in fear. God's just like, that is going to be done away with. This one that I raise up will conquer death, conquer disease, right? The grave will not be able to hold him. Satan will rule no longer. God is saying there is hope. And that is what the birth of Christ is about. The birth of Christ is about God making true on his promise of a hope, of a savior, right? God making good on his promise of hope, his promise of a savior who would set all things right. And the only proper response I think we can have to this savior who has come to set all things right is for ourselves to reflect on what that means and and allow the Holy Spirit to set things right in our hearts. And so I'm going to ask you guys, can you do me a favor? Can we just knock all the lights off. This is going to be great for our live stream, by the way. We're going to cancel all light, and I'm going to move out of the live stream. It's going to be awesome. So, bye guys. Just listen. We're, it's good. So here's what I want you to focus on this morning, this, this single candle. It's interesting that on the first Sunday, there's just one candle lit. And I think that candle is meant to symbolize is that we are only meant to have one source of hope. His name is Jesus. And so this morning, what I want to ask you to do is repent from all those other things you've put your hope and trust in. See, because that's what Christmas is about. 
Christmas isn't about the presents we're about to buy. It's not about the money that we're going to spend. Like, like we live in this world that is so broken. I, I, I jotted down some things, some places we might um, misplace our hope, right? Because the Bible declares there, there is only one source of hope. His name is Jesus. So some things that I wrote down is that I often misplace my hope in myself. I wouldn't confess that out loud, but the truth is the way that I re, re, uh, the way that I interact with God often in my prayer life would, would seem to say that um, uh, God's love for me has something to do with my performance. See, that's how I pray often. Like, I feel, when, when life is rough, I feel like, well, God, maybe you're just mad at me. Maybe I'm not doing something right. Do you know what that, that shows in my heart is that I've placed my hope in my own behavior to be good enough for God. So maybe I have to repent of that. Some of us, um, we have put our hope in other people. Maybe in your spouse. Maybe in your children. Right? And so what happens is when you place your hope in those people, they will always let you down because we're, we're all sinners. And we end up crushed. And what we do is, is we shut down. And we no longer let anybody in. Right? So, so my, my spouse has hurt me or, or my kids have turned away. Or, and so what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut out the entire world. And though God created me to need relationships of other people, I'm, I'm not going to allow those other people to come into my life because I, 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 I wrongly put my hope in people instead of in God. Some of us, we put um, hope in, in our financial stability, right? If we have enough money in the bank, life is okay. No matter what um, crisis comes our way, we feel like we can dig our way out of it because we, we're, we're good. And so we put hope in finances, and, and yet we've seen markets crash in a single day. Right? We've seen people lose their entire fortunes with, with the ring of a stock market bill. So I say to you, what, what do you have your hope placed in? Some people place their hope in um, governance, in politics. I know many people that have placed their hope in presidents, either former or current. And again, I say to you, like, how's that working out? All right? How's that working out? How's it been the last 10 years, 12, 15? Where have you placed your hope? And so this morning, uh, the, the invitation is really quite simple. Um, if we're going to be people of God, we have to be people that are called by God to live like people that understand the ways of God. And here's the truth of God's word. This is what the very first Sunday of Advent reminds us. There is no other place we can turn. There is no other source of hope. We are dead. We are excluded from citizenship. We are foreigners and aliens to the promise. We are far off. We are broken. And there is nothing we can do to fix that. There's no president that can fix that. There's no wall that can secure that. There's no amount of money that can provide that. The only hope for humanity is the promised Savior that God tells us about in Genesis, starting in Genesis 3, right? I know you guys thought we were going to read from Isaiah this morning. That's a common Christmas passage. This morning we start with the very truth of the gospel. Is without this Jesus, we are lost and dead. Amen. I wonder this morning, is this Jesus really the one you've put all your hope in? 
Because if you walked in the doors this morning and you've been disappointed at what life has thrown you this year, I'm going to tell you, you've probably misplaced your hope. So this morning, let's collectively maybe just refocus. Uh, the Bible doesn't use the word refocus. God's not that kind to us. Um, he, he says it's repent. God doesn't pull any punches. He says you've sinned. You've strayed. When we put our hope in other places than God, that is, that is an offense to God. That's a sin. That's idolatry, guys. Remember those commandments? I am the Lord your God. You shall not make for yourself an idol. God's saying, I will be your only source of hope. And so if you happen to be like myself, and you realize this morning after this little talk, <laughs> that maybe, just maybe, you've put your hope in some other place, then just join me in a simple word of prayer as we bow our hearts before our Father and we confess that sin to him, okay? This is how we start the season of Christmas, by placing our hope again in the only one that can save, all right? Father, thank you for loving us and thank you for your word. In this moment of stillness, this one single candle glows here on this stage. We reflect in the beauty and the splendor of this single source of hope. And we declare this morning that we know that this single source of hope represents our only source of hope, Jesus Christ. And so this Christmas season, as we wrap up our year and we tell folks what has gone on, we take all of the places that we have misplaced our hope. Some of us put hope in finances. We put hope in health. We put hope in a relationship. We put hope in you name it, fill in the blank. And when we walk in here this morning broken hearted, it's just a sign. We've, we've put our hope in the wrong place. And so God, we don't just reflect this morning what we choose to do is what you call us to do, right? It's that loving kindness. You say, honey, I don't, I don't need you just to reflect. I need you to repent. Repent from the idolatry of your heart, of your wicked, wicked heart. God, we don't like to think about that but that is the truth of the gospel. On our own by ourselves, we will never want what's good. We will never want what's right and we will never turn to you. God, we need you. Jesus, we ask right now that you would come and take your rightful place in our hearts again. We pray right now that you would extinguish every other flame within us that burns passionately for anything else so that the only light in us that remains, that shines forth, is the source and the light of your hope. The hope that we have in you, Christ. You are our, for, our firm foundation. As Ryan preached last night, faith alone and Christ alone. Right? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so Jesus, this morning we declare, we ask, you would take your rightful place again in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So guys, that's what Advent is about. Um, this Advent season will be a little different. Uh, my, my aim is to keep our sermons kind of like this. 
Uh, not a lot of notes to take, just talking in general truths. We might reflect about the goodness of God's love. Um, we can't preach this sermon without um, giving you this, this little um, nugget here. So I want you to look at me real quick, okay? If you are here today, and this is the first time that you've heard about this hope, this God that loves you so much, that he wants to pursue you, that he wants to die in your place, that he wants to reign in your heart. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and to take control, this morning when we're done singing, I'm going to just hang out right here up front, okay? I just want you to come take my hand. Let's just talk about how you can receive the hope that Jesus Christ can bring, that, that you can reign over death, that you can reign over the devil. Hello? Do you know you were created for dominion? Did you know that? Go back and read Genesis 1 and 2. God made you to reign, to have dominion. Satan was not supposed to be the prince of this world. We are supposed to be the ones that have dominion. Through Christ, you can have dominion back. Amen? Amen.